0: This is from Matthew 5 beginning verse 38 the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says you have heard that it was said that you should an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but I tell you do not resist an evil person if someone slaps you on the right cheek. Turn to them the other cheek also. If someone sues you for your shirt, give to them your coat also. If someone forces you to walk one mile, go with them two miles. If someone asks of you, give. Do not refuse those who want to borrow from you. You've heard it said Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be like your father who is in heaven, who sends the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and causes it to rain on the unrighteous as well as the righteous. If you love only those who love you. What reward is there? Eat for you. Even the tax collectors do that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Even the pagans do that. You must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Jesus sat down to teach the Sermon on the Mount. And so I sit this summer because when the rabbi sits, it means this is significant. And there's nothing more significant for us than to discuss and share together over the Sermon on the Mount. And today we find um, these words. Turn the other cheek. Give to anyone who wants to borrow from you. If they want your sh- shirt, give them your coat as well. I read uh, recently a comment from a professor at Princeton who said this. He said, try this when you're in New York City. He said, and you will be homeless, broke, and in the emergency room of Bellevue Hospital by noon. Well, that observation got my attention because I'll be in New York in a week or so. Uh, But it did cause me to wonder, is Jesus calling on us to be people who uh, are just to be doormats, who are rolled over by anyone who has an agenda? Or is Jesus calling on us to be a nation that has no national defense and uh, no police force? Is Jesus calling on us to go against uh, the scripture that says that we need to resist evil? What is going on here? Well, as is often the case uh, when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, we can learn a lot and understand what they would have understood back in Jesus' day by knowing a couple of things. One is that we need to know what the scriptures are that Jesus has in mind when he is teaching. Because one of the things that you will find out is Jesus isn't just making up scripture in the New Testament. What Jesus is doing is Jesus is taking the scripture from his Bible, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and helping us apply it and live it. Jesus is not making up all new stuff. He's taking the stuff that's there, God's word, and helping us to understand it. So one of the things we need to know is what in God's word is Jesus referring to? Well, it's helpful to know that when the rabbis taught in Jesus' day, They had a principle that if you found a word that was in scripture and you found another word in scripture that was the exact same word, that it might be that God intends for those two words to be tied together. So when Jesus uses a word and the operative word here is uh, evil, Jesus probably has some other scriptures that have to do with evil in mind when he's speaking. And uh, a number of biblical scholars believe that the scriptures that Jesus has in mind when he's doing the Sermon on the Mount today are these. Psalm 37, 1, which is don't fret over evil doers. Psalm 37, verse 8, that says avoid anger, turn from wrath, uh, do not fret, it only leads to evil. And Psalm 24:19, uh, which again counsels us not to worry with evil doers. Now, if you go back um, to the uh, Hebraic understanding of those scriptures that the rabbis had, basically the teaching was this. Don't try to outdo evildoers. If someone is mean to you, don't try to up the ante and be meaner back. them, You're not trying to compete or worry or fret with people who are evildoers and you're trying to decelerate, not accelerate the amount of uh, humility and uh, and violence, uh, whether it be verbal or physical, that is inherent in uh, this sort of situation. So that's the first thing is just understanding scripturally where Jesus is coming from. The other understanding that's always helpful is this. What's going on in the culture of Jesus' day that might be different than the culture of our day that helps us understand some more about the passage? And one of the cultural things is this. That just as in our world, most everyone is right-handed. And so if you're a right-handed person and you're trying to slap someone on the right cheek who is in front of you, how are you going to do that? Typically, you're going to have to do it like this. And a backhanded slap in their day, as it was for a, a, a number of uh, cultures, is this. A backhanded slap is an insult. It's someone who is trying to pick an argument uh, uh, to provoke you uh, into a situation that will only unwind and be worse for you. And so Jesus is saying, when someone's provoking you, don't deal with them. Turn the other cheek doesn't mean, we've always interpreted, well, then they hit that cheek. Turn the other cheek typically means you're going to go in the other direction. I'm going to walk off. I'm not going to escalate this thing. Uh, And so as uh, Rowan Worth, a biblical scholar, says that what we're talking about in the Sermon on the Mount is not so much physical assault in turning the other cheek as insult, not assault, but insult. So when someone insults you, when someone attempts to humiliate you, when someone wants to degrade you in some way, says Jesus, that's the situation. Well, believe me, in Jesus' day in Israel, there are plenty of opportunities to be insulted. Uh, degraded, humiliated, and basically trampled upon because Rome is occupying the territory. And so you cannot expect to find justice in the Roman courts. Uh, they're not going to treat you fairly, and so if someone is coming after your coat, they're going to get your shirt as well. Uh, if uh, Roman soldiers in, could force you to walk basically what we would call a mile carrying their pack for them. Now, you need to know this. Their pack, by the way, weighed about 60 to 85 pounds. It's a lot to carry. And they could force you to carry one mile. Another thing they could do to you is they could come and knock on the door and demand that you feed them. And so it's no wonder, and that's true not just in Israel, but all the territories that Roman soldiers occupied. So it's no wonder Jesus tells a parable about a guy that's banging on the door at midnight. Nobody wants to answer. Because they don't want to feed them if they're a soldier. And what oftentimes happens is the soldiers come in and take not only your food, but they take borrow as much as they can get from you as well there are plenty of opportunities to be insulted humiliated and pushed around in jesus world and jesus has some basic advice about what you do now you need to know this before we get to that basic advice that there was another theory about what to do and this was held by people who were called zealots and their response to roman occupation degradation humiliation was this the, a little dagger or sword called a sakari, and what they would do is they carry these swords, and they would, when they had the opportunity in the midst of a crowd, they would knife a soldier, uh, and and then walk off quickly. And it's kind of hard to know uh, who did it. But armed resistance was what the zealots were encouraging uh, the people in Jesus' day to do. It's interesting to me that when Jesus is betrayed, Peter wants to fight back. Do you remember that? And so Jesus kind of almost mockingly or sarcastically asks Peter, how many swords do you have? Well, it turns out Peter's packing. He's got two. And Jesus says, well, that'll be enough. And that sort of a sarcastic response is that, yeah, you'll take on the Romans with your two swords about this big. But you need to understand that is a possible response. When they push you around, you push back harder. When they come at you uh, physically with with their demands, you respond with a knife. Now, what you need to know is that Jesus didn't favor that response. Uh, Jesus favored a a different kind of response. And and let me say two things in passing just about that. The first is this, that in talking about the response, Jesus is not saying that uh, when you turn the other cheek, you turn the other cheek for your entire community or nation. I don't believe Jesus is talking about not having a national defense. If people attack you, uh, just let them roll through your country with their tanks or, or whatever um, they have. You need to remember that even uh, a wonderful Christian disciple and leader, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, at some point decided in Nazi Germany that Hitler needed to be resisted, joined the resistance against Hitler. And of course, found himself uh, in a concentration camp and uh, executed in April of 1945. But, uh, They knew that the scriptures don't call on us to let evil just run rampant. It's not about not having a police force. It's not about not having a defense. As Dallas Willard says, you can't choose to turn the cheek for another person. You may choose it for yourself in a situation, but you don't uh, you don't choose it for an entire uh, community or group of people. Though, by the way, the way you dealt with a Roman soldier could very likely have impact on your community. If you riled up a Roman soldier, got him pretty upset with you, the next person he meets coming down the road could be your mother our father our brother our cousin. And so it does have impact if you want to raise the escalation between you and Rome. Other people are going to pay for it. But Jesus is not setting down national defense, national security policy. Another thing he's not doing is say, give everything away indiscriminately to anybody and everybody. Uh, the situation Jesus has in mind is the Roman soldier or our bully in your, in, in your town coming and demanding more from you, wanting more uh, than, what you, uh, than what they have a right for you to give or what they can expect. And Jesus is just saying, when they're coming in bullying you and pushing around, just... Let them have what they want. He's not saying when when you're on a street corner or anywhere else, just empty out everything you've got, including the keys to the car, and give it to the person who has asked. There are all sorts of scriptures about giving to people in need uh, in the Hebrew Bible. Taking care of widows. Taking care of orphans. Taking care of the stranger among you. uh, Taking care of the poor and those who have been oppressed. And those scriptures all stick. But Jesus is not, But there's always a wisdom and a guideline to giving, not just give everything away to anyone who asks. Jesus is not necessarily saying that. Okay, what then is he saying? Well, Here's what it seems to me that Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, first of all, when people humiliate you or push you around or want to pick trouble with you, when they victimize you, you do not have to remain a victim. You may choose your response. Uh, when the Roman soldier busts in your home, when the Roman soldier demands you take a pack, you have a choice to make in that matter. And one of the choices is retaliate or resist or grudgingly do the minimum that you can do. The other choice is to love them in return. Uh, and that happens still in our world. As Sally mentioned to the children, there, there are people at work uh, that can yell at her and can bully her and can try to uh, degrade or taunt her. And they do it for you and for me. And they'll cut you off on 410. And you're faced with, am I trapped here or do I have a response that I can make? And the second thing is, Jesus says that in most situations, the response is non-retaliation and love. When someone attempts to push you, uh, hurt you uh, um, in, 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 in sort of non-physical ways, The response, Jesus reminds them, is to love them in return, not try to up the ante, not try to out-evil the evil person. And we see this happen on individual levels and national levels, how people seem to want to trade evil for evil. Uh, Dinah, Pastor Dinah, and I went to Liberia. They had had 17 years of civil war. Finally, in 2005, they got a freely elected uh, democratic government. We were there in 2006. And when we toured their capital building in Liberia, what we found was the previous power regime on their way out of the government building took everything that wasn't not just nailed down, but basically almost cemented down. They took computers. They took furniture. They took anything that might uh, artwork. They took anything that might uh, be valuable in any kind. And they made it as difficult as possible for the new administration that was democratically elected to get on their feet at all. Friends, that's how the world does things. They do it in retaliatory ways. If I lose, I'm going to make you pay. Now, contrast this if you've seen the movie Invictus. you know, two things. First of all, one, the World Cup's in soccer today, but the real um, uh, main sport of South Africa is rugby. And so in 1995, they had the World Cup, in a sense, of rugby came to South Africa. But you remember in the movie that Mandela faces the choice. He can retaliate against an administration and people that have oppressed him and oppressed other people uh, ethnically that were the same as him for years and years. He can choose that. Or he can choose a non-retaliatory way and he includes them in the government and begins in many ways to share power with them. That's what Jesus is talking about. You don't take a history of violence or abuse or threat and up the ante. We, we retaliate rather with love. It's sort of a policy of non-retaliation. And it actually turns out to be the best strategy. Uh, a long-term change and hearts are never won by uh, forces of violence and shows of violence people tend to change by love over time and one of the things god had done with the egyptians was try to change them through displays of power and when it came to the romans one of the things god had done was decide to move them and change the romans by an example of love so jesus in fact doesn't retaliate against the romans but goes to the cross well non-retaliation is not only a good strategy uh, excuse me, that is a good strategy, but that's not the reason that we return love for hate. The reason we return love for hate, says Jesus, is because that's what God is like. Put it this way, God doesn't hate your enemy. I don't know who you think your enemy is. Someone who's ruined the country, somebody who's ruined your neighborhood, somebody who's ruined your profession or the environment. You, you pick fill in the blank. God doesn't hate him. And in fact, I love the advice that says when you think God's hate, the same people that you hate you've probably made God in your own image because God doesn't frankly hate the enemy the rabbis had a story that illustrated this just after the exodus as Pharaoh's chariots are stuck in the mud and the, the water is drowning Pharaoh's soldiers the angels in heaven are watching this high-fiving each other in a sense they're celebrating God walks in on the celebration and rebukes them puts them in a sense on leave of absence and says and they're kind of like what and he said, you fail to understand that those Egyptians are my children too. Whoever your enemy is, God doesn't hate them. And because God loves enemies, we are called to love enemies as well. There's an amazing passage in the Proverbs, in Proverbs 25. You've probably heard it before. It says, if your enemy hungry, feed them. If your enemy is thirsty, give them water. In so doing, you will pour heaping coals of fire on their head. I used to love that verse because I thought it meant I'll kill them with kindness. You know, I'll be so nice to my enemies that I'll really tick them off and make their life miserable. And I thought that's what God was talking about. But when you look through the Scriptures, every time there is fire, whether it be hot coals or or a burning bush or a pillar of fire, fire always indicates the presence of God. Here's what the Scripture saying. If you will love your enemy, they may come to know the presence and the love of God. People in your life are not going to know God by your displays of retaliation, vengeance, and power executed upon them. They will only have a chance of knowing God as you love them in return for the evil that they want to do to you. Well, I think what happened in the Roman occupied country was that Jesus looked at people who felt they were victimized and that they were imprisoned. And he was pointing them to a way where they could be free. And not only could they be free, but maybe those who were pressing them would become free as well. Some years ago, David Gelertner opened a package that had been mailed to him. Unbeknownst to him, the package came from the Unabomber. And when he broke it up, well, opened it up, uh, there was an explosion in his midst. He suffered uh, several permanent injuries. When he came out of the hospital, the press asked him about this and and asked him if he hoped the Unabomber was uh, not only caught but but was was tortured and and made to pay for his crimes and if he hoped that they would be revenge upon the Unabomber. And he said, I've learned this. He said, revenge never really helps anybody. When a wounded person spends time thinking about revenge, it is as if they have piles of bricks Stacked up on their chest. It's hard to move. It's hard to breathe. It's hard to live. But when you begin to want the best and not to retaliate against those who hurt you, you find the bricks are removed. And it turns out the only free people in the Roman world and the only free people in our world today are people who choose to love rather than to nurse hate.